Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is a Lip Media Podcast. Sodomites, and welcome to the Sinister Sissies podcast, your guide to true crime, horror, and everything man on man and macabre. I'm Jared, your master of depravity, and I'm here with my filthy little slave, Sam Hamilton, stuck in lockdown. It's no good when your slave is away from you, you can't torture and and torment them as much as you'd like to, but it's at least good to see your face. Well, uh, lucky for me, I've just moved into what I've described to Jared as a Christian Science Commune. Yes. So I am being tortured just in a different way. <laughs> Let's so, just say, don't let desperation get the better of you in your moving house and wanting to find a place ASAP. <laughs> we may see a slow transformation of Sam over time um, as his Christian Commune neighbours uh, slowly talk him into the faith. It'll be a really interesting like evolution in the podcast. I love it. I look forward to unraveling and potentially wearing some offensive t-shirts around the net. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I will keep peace with my neighbors and respect their beliefs. <laughs> uh, speaking of the horribleness of Christians, that's a tangent. Um, t- today's episode is on Carl Panzram. Uh, Panzram is a serial killer who murdered, raped, and burned his way across the United States and indeed across the world. Uh, Panzram was only convicted of one murder, but as we will see, his confessions, which came later in life, seem to indicate that he killed many, many more. Panzram was born on the 28th of June, 1891 in Minnesota. He was born on a farm that wasn't doing well. Um, His parents were of German descent. They were hardworking, but again, they were dirt poor for most of their life. Panzram would help out on the farm from sunup to sundown, um, and he would do so whilst 
experiencing constant beatings from his older brothers. When Panzran was young, he uh, his father left, um, and then after his father left, obviously, you know, all the, the men have to pick up the slack, including the very, very young men. Um, and when he did that, he was laboring very intensely on the farm. Yeah, well, the pressure definitely got to him, it sounds like. I mean, he got arrested at age eight for being drunk. So, you know, it's Drew Barrymore style. His very first arrest was public drunkenness <laughs> at the age of, what was age it? Age eight. Eight. <laughs> An interesting uh, event in Panzram's early life was that he had um, mastoid surgery, so surgery on the jaw, um, but it was done by a surgeon in his home, and there's suspicions that he may have experienced some degree of brain injury whilst that surgery occurred. Not to mention that all throughout his life he was beaten and abused, so he's bound to have copped a few whacks to the head then as well. As we know from going through the stories of other serial killers, brain injuries, particular types of brain injuries very early in life are often highly correlated with, with serial killers. So that's interesting to note. Anzaram's life in institutions began at the age of 11. Um, he broke into a neighbor's home because he knew his neighbor was wealthy um, to steal a number of things, um, uh, one of them which was a handgun. Um, when the authorities found out about this, Panzeram was sent in 1903 to the Minnesota State Training School, which was a, wasn't quite a prison, it was a reform institution for young people. In this school, he was beaten, he was sexually assaulted, and generally made worse by this institution. Uh, in reference to the institutions that he went through at a very young age, Panzram said this, I had been taught by Christians how to be a hypocrite, and I had learned more about stealing, lying, hating, burning, and killing. I had learned that a boy's penis could be used for something besides to urinate, and that a rectum could be used for purposes other than crepitating. Oh yes, I had learned a hell of a lot from my experienced instructions furnished to me free of charge by society at the state of Minnesota in particular. So I think we, we get pretty clear evidence here that, that, that the institutions have shaped him into being somebody that, and this is I think a very common theme throughout Panzram's life, somebody that understood the power of domination and understood that for someone like him in particular, um, in order to get his way, he needed to to dominate. Yeah, well, I, I was watching an interview of a forensic psychologist who was, yeah, speculating that the nature of a lot of his crimes towards other males was, yeah, you know, likely a way of, like, taking back control as opposed to, like, a un just uniquely a sexual thrill. When Panzerone was released by the Minnesota State School at 13, he briefly started running the rails, that is, um, kind of hopping on board train carriages across the United States. You hear a lot of uh, these sorts of tales in kind of the early 1920s, 1930s of the United States of people just hopping on and being hobos um, and this kind of adventurous life that they lead. Um, for Panzram, um, that, that wasn't necessarily the case. In fact, 
when he first left when he was 13 and jumped on a carriage, he was gang raped by several men in the carriage that he was in. Again, just, just reaffirming this idea of domination is the only way that the world works. He was eventually arrested for larceny and sent to the Montana State Reform School. This was an equally horrendous institution for him to be in. Um, one of the horrible things that I heard is that they, um, they forcefully circumcised him in order to stop him masturbating. Okay, I, ha- I hadn't heard that, but I'm not surprised to hear that, but it's, yeah. And yep. from, from throughout his teenage years within this particular school, um, Panzeram would constantly get into scuffles with guards and he hated the guards because obviously at this point he was an incredibly damaged young man. Um, he did briefly escape um, with another boy named Jimmy Benson um, who taught him how to rob churches. And this is where Panzram got a bit of a taste for uh, burning churches as well. He liked to burn down churches um, as a bit of a thrill in his teenage years. I believe after he was done with his second reform facility, uh, he was, you know, done with that. And he, you know, kind of got his first taste for identity theft. Um, and he was, he was able to enlist in the army illegally. I think it, he was, 15. he, he joined the army and being Panzram, he caused a lot of disturbance whilst in the military. Um, in fact, he eventually ended up getting imprisoned for three years for disrespectful acts towards a, a senior military officer. Um, what he'd done is that he realized that the quartermaster for his military base had a lot of valuable goods. And so he broke into that uh, facility and stole um, those goods and was eventually found out. And again, once again, Panzram ended up in prison. <laughs> sentence within a military prison uh, Panzram did what Panzram does and he set several uh, fires whilst he was in prison uh, when he was finally released Panzram got a number of very interesting jobs one of which was as a strike breaker which was a role that existed in the early 20th century to do exactly what it sounds like um, companies would hire goons to break up uh, union members and labor strikers in order to solidify their power. It's a horrible part of history, uh, but Panzram was part of it. But it wasn't, it wasn't a horrible part of Panzram. No, life, he had willful employment. This career he found actually very fulfilling. <laughs> he had willful yeah. employment. Um, and yeah, this was the only time I think he said he actually enjoyed working. Yeah, so. he could threaten people and get there paid for it. It's like a... He didn't have, yeah, he could threaten people. He didn't have to kill them to get that satisfaction of, you know, if destroying them. If only he could be a CEO, he'd be perfectly happy. Um, there's a weird reference in Panzram's confession that during this time, he also briefly kidnapped a small boy for his own sexual pleasure. Um, a small blue-eyed uh, chubby boy for his pleasure. 
Um, it's just an offhand comment that he makes in his confession. The boy was uh, eventually um, captured, <laughs> not captured, saved by um, by some religious missionaries. Pansram was essentially seriously threatened by members of the union movement. He fled to Mexico, uh, where he tried to join the Foreign Legion of the Constitutional Army of Northern Mexico. Oof, after a couple of drinks, that's a bit difficult. Um, however, Pansram's stint in Mexico was very brief. He hooked up with this um, uh, Native American man, briefly and whilst they were together he robbed and raped a man in the middle of the desert and left that man tied up so we don't know for sure whether or not this may have been Pansram's first kill but he definitely left a man after abusing him um, when he left Pansram began to ride the freight trains once again taking up the hobo life in the United States he spent that time robbing and raping fellow hobos um, and particularly younger ones that he could take advantage of. In relation to this, you know, we're, we're reviewing and talking about Panzeram as a gay man, but as always with these kind of early 20th century figures, it's very hard to describe what they actually mean by that. Um, but Panzeram did say in his confessions that I knew more about sodomy than old boy Oscar Wilde ever thought of knowing. So, <laughs> yes, I liked that quote. It's a very, very articulate man. Yeah, well, it's, it's you know, for someone with a low level of education and who's potentially got a, an acquired brain injury and has gone through all the trauma that he has, like, yeah, it's quite astounding, like, the wordsmith he was. And we'll, we'll talk about this more when we get to the letters themselves, but I, like, he... He, he he has like wordplay and humor and you know quite advanced writing skills when he's doing his confessions ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. After a few more stints in prison, Pansram obtained his Siemens identification card. Don't laugh, Sam. And <laughs> hey, <laughs> I forgot. Jared can see me on the webcam, so he knows. <laughs> um, and, and joined a particular uh, sailor's line, which sailed to Panama. He sailed all over the place. So when he was working as a sailor after he got his Siemens license... Um, he'd sailed all the way to Europe. He briefly was arrested for robbery and served time in Scotland um, and then sailed all around um, Panama. Um, when he returned, uh, Pansram robbed former President William Howard Taft's home in Connecticut because his life is just full of weird facts like this. And he... Well, I think, I think he said something like it was that that particular former president's fault that his life had turned out the way that it did. So, you know, he was blaming the institution. He played a role, I think, on a parole board. So Ta Taft 
could have paroled him or could have played a role in in getting him out of an institution. And so Panzerum had a particular grievance against him. Um, But from the money he stole from this home, uh, Panzeram bought a yacht. And it was on this yacht that he committed the majority of his homicides. Yeah, I I guess he... Is it true that he would lure, like, sailors, get them drunk at bars, bring them back to the yacht, and then sodomize and destroy? Yeah, he had a method. He had a method for for luring people in. As you said, um, he would go to bars, notice the most drunk sailor he could find, take the sailor back, threaten him with a gun, rape him, and then shoot um, the, the sailor on his yacht. His yacht was a great way for him to not only take victims away and kill them but also he used to go out uh, near long island on the yacht and dump the bodies over the edge his later confessions indicated that he may have killed up to 10 men this way after panzeram wrecked his yacht um panzeram returned to europe and from there took a trip to africa he really was a jet setter minus the jet but you know he, he got around. He's all around he's the, world. the like, world. For a life, for like someone who grew up on like a dirt poor farm in Minnesota, he lived a fucking life. <laughs> um, you know, once arriving in Angola, he got a job on an oil rig, which believe it or not, he didn't have the best time and uh, decided to burn it down when he was done working there, which would have been quite easy given, you know, it's an oil rig. He likes his fire. During this time, he also um, raped and killed an 11 or 12-year-old boy. So, his, yeah. This... His killing spree whilst in Africa um, didn't stop at the the young boy. Um, whilst he was in Libido Bay, uh, Panzeram developed this method of hiring a local man to assist him whilst he went out on his boat. When he was out on the boat with the local man, he would pull out a gun and shoot the man on the back of the head. And in fact, he he quasi boasts about this in his confession that he was able to get away with this sort of stuff. Um, I think because he was a white man in an African country and he thought he could kind of exploit the dynamic that was there. Yeah, I mean, he he ended up killing uh, six men and a 12-year-old boy whilst he was in Africa. So he could exploit that region um, as much as possible. In fact, Panzeram marveled at how easy it was to kill. And it was during this time that he started thinking whether or not he should actually become a professional hitman because he started to realize that like, oh, okay, I feel nothing when I kill someone. I might as well earn some money from it. Well, he was also good at body disposal. I think I read that. I think I read that after he killed them, he'd feed them to crocodiles. Don't know if that's some sensationalized um, generalist comment or if that's I think he, did. he, act- he actively he shot did that. Them, but I think it was just that they were on a river with a lot of crocodiles. But yes. Yeah. So you know, he knew he knew he knew who to kill, where to kill, how to kill. Panzerum eventually returned to the United States in Salem. Whilst he was in Salem, he killed two boys. One boy he grabbed by the arm in the middle of the street said that he was going to kill him, threatened him with a gun, raped him, and then beat the boy's brains out with a rock and stuffed sheets of paper from a magazine down his throat to kill him. Later that year, he strangled a second boy. In relation to killing children, one of his interrogators 
when he was eventually caught, asked him what was the point of killing a helpless child. And Panzeram just responded, I hate all of the fucking human race. I get a kick out of murdering people. In 1923, uh, Panzram shot a man with a pistol, a pistol that he stole from the chief of police of New York. How's that for a fuck uh, He, yeah, he killed the man after he broke into his home in Baltimore. Uh, Panzram also claimed that he killed two boys in Philadelphia in 1923 and 1928 after raping them. I believe during this period too, because he went by a lot of different identities, I guess he was able to, you know use the time frame that he was killing to his advantage where he was able to very easily fake his identity. I know he had many, I think for like pretty much every new job he had, he was taking on a new identity. That's why they couldn't trace it all together. That's why they couldn't put the picture together of who, you know, that there was a serial killer on the loose, yes. basically. In 1928, Panzram was eventually arrested, not for the murders that he committed, but for a burglary that he committed in Washington, D.C. Um, whilst in custody during this time, he met a guard named Henry Lesser. Now, the importance of Lesser is that we would, wouldn't know half of what we know about Panzeram's crimes had Panzeram not met Lesser, because Lesser encouraged Panzeram to write basically his crimes, write his life story, an entire autobiography. I think he went as far as to like illegally supply him with like paper and pen so that he could write it down. So he really, they struck up quite a friendship. I don't know what it was that made Henry feel this affinity with him, but from the get go, he was sort of um, on his team. I think Henry Lesser, um, because he was interviewed a lot um, after Panzerum died, um, Henry Lesser, he, he was very well aware that institutions had failed Panzram and that Panzram's story, even though, you know, I don't think he had much hope that, that Panzram himself would be saved, but that Panzram's story would be useful to understand how institutions could improve, which is a very uh, complex but empathetic position to have, I think. Um, and after Panzerum was transferred to another prison in Kansas, um, uh, Lesser and Panzerum kept up this dialogue. And so we have this whole string of letters which um, constitute Panzerum's ultimate confession. On the 20th of June, 1929, Panzerum was working in the laundry at the Leavenworth prison in Kansas. He was leaning against a wall with a four-foot iron bar that was kind of supporting some wooden beams nearby him. Without warning, he picked up the iron bar and approached civilian foreman Warnke. Um, he then struck Warnke over the skull over and over and over again. Um, it sent blood and bone matter all over the room. There were other prisoners in the room who were horrified. Panzram, after he killed Wonky from beating him to death, tried to attack the prisoners and the prisoners fled. Um, after an alarm was sounded, guards came to the area and Panzram turned to the guards calmly. 
I just killed one key. Let me in. I mean, he he had he had warned the warden that he was going to kill anyone that annoyed him in the prison. So you know, it's very mechanical and very methodical. Um, and I suspect, given how Panzerim acts subsequent to this, that he knew that that would eventually lead to his execution. Um, I think that this yeah. was somewhat deliberate on his part. He was just done. Panzram uh, went to trial for the murder of Wonky. So th- this is the only mur- murder that he has gone to trial for was the killing of this warden. Uh, it was a very quick trial. Panzram pleaded guilty um, and he was given a death sentence. Panzram um, wanted the death sentence. He was happy to have the death sentence. In fact, there was a group called the Society for the Abolishment of Capital Punishment that petitioned the governor um, to try and, because um, Panzerum was viewed as a failure of institutions, to say that a death sentence wasn't relevant. Um, and this is how Panzerum responded. He said, The only thanks you and your kind will ever get from me for your efforts on my behalf is that I wish you all had one neck and that I had my hands on it. I have no desire whatever to reform myself. My only desire is to reform people who try to reform me. And I believe that the only way to reform people is to kill them. So he he was done. He did not um, he did not uh, want to be in the world anymore. He was done with the world. And in fact, on the day of his execution in 1930, he happily went to the steps of the gallows. Whilst the executioner was um, fixing things together, he said, Hurry up, you bastard. I could kill ten men while you're fooling around. He certainly was one for the iconic quote. Uh, there's this documentary on Amazon Prime, actually, called Karl Panzram, The Spirit of Hatred and Evil, I believe. And if you don't want to, like, delve in and read some of his letters yourself, th- they do, ha- like, showcase some of his letters and have some quite eerie voiceovers. It gives you an insight into... You know the kind of uh, the art, the articulate and uh, depraved wordsmithing of Carl. On that note, I was going to finish with a quote: "If you or anyone else will take the trouble and have the intelligence or patience to follow and examine every one of my crimes and actions, you will find that I have consistently followed one idea throughout my life. I preyed upon the weak, the harmless, and the unsuspecting." Those I harmed were weaklings, either mentally or physically. Those who were strong, either in mind or body, I first lied to or led into trap, where they were either asleep or drunk or helpless in some way. I always had all the best of it because I knew ahead of time just what to expect and the others did not. I therefore was strong in my knowledge and stronger in body than those I preyed upon. This lesson I was taught by others might makes right thank you for listening to the sinister sissies podcast you can follow us on twitter at sinister sissies you can follow me on twitter at jared bartle that's jared with a y you can follow us on instagram at sinister underscore sissies and i'd like you to consider supporting us on patreon it is not always easy in these times to set aside the time to record these podcasts so if you can support us even if it's as low as five dollars a month that is of incredible help to the podcast until next time though stay sinister 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.